This is Under the Tree, a seminar on freedom with Bill Ayers. Welcome back to Under the Tree. I'm Bill Ayers, and I'm here with Light Ailee, Roxana Espos, and Palace Shaw, gathered in the spirit and the memory of Malik Alim for our seminar on freedom. That was the singer-songwriter and freedom fighter Tom Morello with his signature anthem, Let Freedom Ring. Tom's generosity is an inspiration. He shows up whenever people are coming together under the banner of freedom in search of peace and justice. We broadcast from the so-called Chicagoland area of Illinois, unceded lands stewarded by many peoples and lineages for millennia, including the Potawatomi, the Ojibwa, the Odawa, and a dozen more indigenous nations. We acknowledge them and thank them as we, justice seekers and freedom fighters, organizers and activists, remember and honor a history of stolen land and resources, a history of genocide, and we pledge to keep our eyes and our hearts open in our shared struggle for peace and repair, justice and joy, balance and love. We're transmitting, as always, on the Freedom Frequency, calling on you to join us as we look uneasily at the world we've inherited and struggle toward a world that could be or should be but is not yet. So let's keep asking, what is freedom? How do we get free? What are the freedom dreams that encourage us and drive us forward? These good questions animate our every conversation and our ongoing reflection. Our first traditional feature is the quiet contemplation of a poem, our moment of Zen. And today we'll read two poems, the spectacular praise song for the day by our friend Elizabeth Alexander and the delightful I Am Waiting by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Praise song for the day. Each day we go about our business, walking past each other, catching each other's eyes or not, about to speak or speaking. All about us is noise. All about us is noise and bramble, thorn and din, each one of our ancestors on our tongues. Someone is stitching up a hem, darning a hole in a uniform, patching a tire, repairing the things in need of repair. Someone is trying to make music somewhere, with a pair of wooden spoons on an oil drum, with cello, boombox, harmonica, voice. A woman and her son wait for the bus. A farmer considers the changing sky. A teacher says, take out your pencils, begin. We encounter each other in words, words spiny or smooth, whispered or declaimed, words to consider, reconsider. We cross dirt roads and highways that mark the will of someone and then others who said, I need to see what's on the other side. I know there's something better down the road. We need to find a place where we are safe. We walk into that which we cannot yet see. Say it plain, that many have died for this day. Sing the names of the dead who brought us here, who laid the train tracks, raised the bridges, picked the cotton and the lettuce, built brick by brick the glittering edifices they would then keep clean and work inside of. Praise song for struggle, praise song for the day, praise song for every hand-lettered sign, the figuring it out at kitchen tables. Some live by love thy neighbor as thyself, others by first do no harm or take no more than you need. What if the mightiest word is love? Love beyond marital, filial, national. Love that casts a widening pool of light. Love with no need to preempt grievance. In today's sharp sparkle, this winter air, anything can be made, any sentence begun. On the brink, on the brim, on the cusp, praise song for walking forward in that light.
And now we're going to read a second poem by Lawrence Ferlinghetti called I Am Waiting. I am waiting for my case to come up, and I'm waiting for a rebirth of wonder, and I am waiting for someone to really discover America and whale, and I am waiting for the discovery of a new symbolic Western frontier, and I am waiting for the American eagle to really spread its wings and straighten up and fly right, and I am waiting for the age of anxiety to drop dead, and I am waiting for the war to be fought, which will make the world safe for anarchy, and I am waiting for the final withering away of all governments, and I am perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for the second coming, and I am waiting for a religious revival to sweep through the state of Arizona, and I am waiting for the grapes of wrath to be stored, and I am waiting for them to prove that God is really American, and I am waiting to see God on television, piped onto church altars, if only they can find the right channel to tune in on, and I am waiting for the Last Supper to be served again, with a strange new appetizer, and I am perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for my number to be called, and I'm waiting for the Salvation Army to take over, and I am waiting for the meek to be blessed and inherit the earth without taxes, and I am waiting for forests and animals to reclaim the earth as theirs, and I am waiting for a way to be devised to destroy all nationalisms without killing anybody, and I am waiting for linnets and planets to fall like rain, and I am waiting for lovers and weepers to lie down together again in a new rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for the great divide to be crossed, and I am anxiously waiting for the secret of eternal life to be discovered by an obscure general practitioner, and I am waiting for the storms of life to be over, and I am waiting to set sail for happiness, and I am waiting for a reconstructed Mayflower to reach America, with its picture story and TV rights sold in advance to the natives. And I am waiting for the lost music to sound again, in the lost continent, in a new rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for the day that maketh all things clear, and I am awaiting retribution for, for what America did to Tom Sawyer. And I am waiting for Alice in Wonderland to retransmit to me her total dream of innocence. And I am waiting for Child Roland to come to the final darkest tower. And I am waiting for Aphrodite to grow live arms at a final disarmament conference in a new rebirth of wonder. I am waiting to get some intimations of immortality by recollecting my early childhood. And I am waiting for the green mornings to come again, youth's dumb green fields come back again. And I am waiting for some strains of unpremediated art to shake my typewriter. And I am waiting to write the great indelible poem. And I am waiting for the last long careless rapture. And I am perpetually waiting for the fleeing lovers on the Grecian urn to catch each other up at last and embrace. And I am awaiting perpetually and forever a renaissance of wonder. Our second regular feature is a free write, impromptu, unedited, spur of the moment. So pause the podcast if you like, just for a moment, and write wildly. No need for edits or revisions in response to this prompt. Girl, please, if voting could bring about fundamental social change and usher in a new world of joy and justice powered by love, it would be against the law. Voting doesn't mean shit. Agree or disagree. Okay, start writing. We'll be right here when you get back. 
Email us at underthetreepod at gmail.com to share your response to the writing prompt or if you just want to introduce yourself and build community. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Under the Tree Podcast, for clips and interviews. And follow us on Instagram at Under the Tree Podcast. It's now time for our guest speaker series, a segment we call Artists, Authors, Activists, and Academics After Hours, pronounced ah. So let's make room for our guest, Stephanie Scora, who produces the Voter's Guide called Girl, I Guess. We're really excited to be here, Roxana and myself and Bernadine, with Stephanie Scora, who describes herself as a grouchy Jewish trans dyke and an anarchist with a political science degree. She's one half of the podcast Taco Bagel, the CEO of Brave Space Alliance, president of the board of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity, and a founding organizer of the Trans Liberation Collective. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. We're just delighted. Could you tell us a bit about Girl, I Guess, how it got started? This is a guide to elections, and it's entertaining reading, whether you're voting or not. But maybe you could tell us a bit about the history, what you do. It looks like a ton of work, and and we'd love to hear your take on both how you started it, what the word, what the term Girl, I Guess, means, and and what your intent is. Yeah, of course. So uh, Girl, I Guess was started by uh, my friend Ellen Mayer and myself uh, in 2018. Um, We had met each other in 2017 through being Jewish and gay. Uh, And, um, you know, we were both nerds, we're both involved in politics. And one day Ellen makes a post on Facebook that says, hey, you know, what if somebody made a voter guide for leftists and progressives? So all those people out there who say that voting upholds the settler colonial agenda, but really should be hitting the polls, had their work done for them and they didn't have any excuse. Uh, and, you know, I hit her up and I was like, yeah, what if? Um, and that was sort of the origin story of Girl, I guess. We got together, uh, we wrote our first voter guide for the 2018 primary, really didn't know what we were doing, just sort of tried to review as many races as we could. Um, and, you know, we polished it along the way. Girl, I guess came from, uh, our lack of enthusiasm about the governor's race in 2018. I will say Pritzker's done a really good job for himself in the four years that he's had. Um, but uh, in 2018, we were not super enthusiastic about a billionaire buying the governor's race. Um, and so we borrowed a phrase from Black Twitter uh, that was used in 2016 to express Black progressives and Black leftists' dissatisfaction with um, with Hillary Clinton in the presidential race. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and, you know, we we actually had intended to change the title with every subsequent guide. But we, you know, when the 2018 general election one came out and was people really loved it and it kind of stuck and we unintentionally had a brand. So we sort of stuck with it. Um, and then we wrote the 2019 municipal election together. Ellen, who was at the time the, the politics editor for Southside Weekly, uh, retired from politics after the 2019 one, and I don't blame her at all. Um, but I kept writing the guide with her blessing, and it's really become a great resource for a lot of people in Chicago. Uh, it's it's a progressive and a leftist voter guide, but it's also a voter guide that will tell you what you want to know about 
elections and what you want to know about politics as if you were talking to somebody on the street or in a bar. So you you said it came from Black Twitter, and did they in in the Clinton election they did they say girl? I guess is that how it is that how it started? So it was sort of there was a a thing going around that was basically like girl. I guess I'm with her, which oh, was okay. riffing on, yeah riffing on her slogan of you know I'm with her, girl. Okay. I guess I'm with her. Okay, uh, and so yeah, and so we uh, we borrowed that. It was supposed to just be for the one election, but you know it it stuck. And you know once you got a brand, you're sort of stuck with it. But um, it really it really exemplifies how people feel about voting often on the left, where it's like, oh, God, this is this thing that I know I'm really supposed to do, but I'm not enthusiastic about any of these people. Girl, I guess I'll vote. I love it. OK, so it, you're, you're hitting a chord in our family because Bernadine and I have argued about elections our whole <laughs> lives. And, and she, you know. We, you know, I vote all the time and being a Chicagoan, I try to vote early and often. But I was going to say, yes, but even all the years we were underground, I insisted on voting because because I feel like it. Why not? That's kind of my feeling. I don't think it's going to change the world. I think without mobilization and organizing and and, you know, labor being organized and masses of people in motion, we're not going to change things. On the other hand. I want to walk toward change on two legs, one leg being mass mobilization, the other leg being real politics. Mm -hmm. So we desperately seek out um, people. I don't know if you know Carol Travis, but she moved out of Chicago a decade ago, but she was a labor leader here. And we relied on her for judicial races and so on. And so Girl, I guess, has been our lifesaver because you, you, you allow us to participate without spending days and days on it. And we bless you for spending days on it. And then we are allowed to go in and say, okay, this makes sense. So is that, is that how you see it? Kind of the balance of organizing activism and and voting? Yeah, that's exactly it. As you know, I like, like you said, I'm an anarchist, you know, my, my preference is let's burn it all down and start over. This system was created, you know, from settler colonization, slavery and, and war, and that's no foundation for anything. Uh, but we're not there. Uh, we're not going to be there anytime soon from the looks of things. So while we're here, we we have a responsibility as organizers and as people who are fighting for liberation to use every tool in the toolbox to get the best, you know, situation and circumstances possible for our organizing. And, you know, no, like exactly like you said, voting isn't going to change the world. We're not going to elect our way to freedom. Um, but we can make sure that we're electing the least bad people. Uh, we're always going to be organizing against the city, the state, everything else. Um, I, I just love that. I love what you just said, because people often say to me, yeah, but all you're doing is voting the lesser of two evils. I say, yeah, and that's lesser. Right, that's exactly. I mean, I want lesser evil, right? It, but it's it, Precisely. You know, I, I would really rather not have... Paul Vallis or Willie Wilson for the mayor, for example. You know, right. I it's and that's the thing is, you know, we have on a local level often a a really excellent opportunity to vote in genuinely good people to positions of power that have an impact on millions of people's lives. Um, you know, we can't say the same necessarily for president or for senate uh, or often even for governor. Um, but when we're talking about the alderman, when we're talking about the mayor. We have an opportunity to have a mayor who's a real, genuine human being. And that's an opportunity that everybody should take advantage of because the mayor's policies impact our day-to-day lives. 
but even even on the national level, voting for the lesser of evils makes sense. I yeah. was in Ohio when Trump was winning against Clinton, and I was a girl like guest person because I was, <laughs> and I was staying. I was speaking in Columbus, and I was staying at the home of a couple of DSA kids, and they had endorsed Bernie, and they weren't. They were in Ohio for Christ's sake, yeah. and they weren't going to vote for Hillary. And I said, "Man, come on! I mean, it makes a difference." And then we get these Supreme Court justices. Come on, in real people's lives. This shit matters. So exactly. I so admire your, all your stance on it, but the amount of energy and good humor that you put into helping us folks get to the get to the polling place and do the right thing. Yeah, I, I you know I, it's it's a community service. Uh, I write the guide because people say that they keep using it, and because you know it's it's a nice catharsis for me. Uh, it does take a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. The legislative ones I've pretty much got down to a science, but the municipal one, this is my first time writing one of these on my own because the last one Ellen and I wrote together. Um, and oh God, <laughs> there's a lot of elect, there's a lot of races on that ballot. Um, and you know, now we've got the police district councils, and those races are just such a mess, and that office doesn't have any power, and the ECPS ordinance is kind of bunk anyway. You know, the the public safety commission citywide people should be the ones that are elected this is the school board all over again um, but here we are electing these 66 police district councilors and half these people are barely even running for office you know they don't have websites they don't have platforms it's impossible for the average voter to find information on any of these folks it's hard enough for me to find information on these people you know imagine how my neighbor the person who lives down the street is going to feel when they walk into their polling place thinking they're voting for mayor and city council and maybe a couple of ballot measures and they've got an extra race on there they've maybe never even heard of this thing exactly exactly well you know i want to i want to get to a couple things that i think you do so brilliantly and and one of the things that drives everybody crazy is judicial candidates because nobody knows who they are but you have a really wonderful approach to judicial candidates and and I just want to read something from your website. Um, you say that uh, you, you get a lot of help from Injustice Watch, which yes. and we've had them on, on the pod before. But you, you have some simple guidelines, and then you help us vote. And you say, is this judge a cop, number one? <laughs> number two, is this judge sketchy, suspicious, or have they done bad, controversial things in the past. Three, is this judge a dumbass? And four, <laughs> do bar associations think that this judge is qualified? So helpful. Say a word about judicial elections. Yeah, you know, it's really, I for judicial elections, I've got to give so much of the credit to Injustice Watch. I would not be able to do 10% of the stuff that I do with, with judicial elections if it weren't for their help. Um, you know, they're a 501c3, they're a nonprofit news source. Um, and so they can't make endorsements in judicial elections. And so I think we've formed a really good and natural partnership because um, obviously the folks over there have a have a political agenda for these races, but they just can't put it on paper um, because that would violate the law. They would lose their nonprofit status. Um, and so, you know, they work with me to get me all the information that I need. And I take that information um, and I you know consult with them about things that they know about these judges or, you know, stuff that they've heard in the legal reporting ecosystem. And this is stuff that, you know, Unless you're a lawyer or a court reporter, you, you, there's no way that you're going to know any of this stuff. Yeah. No way at all. And so I work with them really closely. Uh, they don't make the endorsements. We're very, very careful to keep that separation. Um, but really, I wouldn't be able to do that at all if it weren't for Injustice Watch. They do um, make the judgment, and that's terrific. Tell yeah. Injustice Watch, you can make a donation, but we can make a donation to Girl Like Guess, right? 
Yes. So Girl, I guess, is not a legal entity. It's just me. Uh, that may be changing at some point in the future. Some people have told me to start a pack, and maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Um, but uh, I'm still figuring that out. Uh, but there's all my payment app information and whatnot. Uh, you know, we're actually talking about this the night before the guide comes out. Uh, oh, is it so coming tomorrow? Tomorrow at 8 a.m. Oh shoot! To date the episode a little bit. We're scooping the we're scooping the guide. I'm so happy. Yeah. So uh, all the payment information for myself. If you want to make a contribution to me for the work that I do on the guide, uh, it's not required. It's always appreciated. It's, uh, it's all right at the top underneath the title. Okay. Great. Um, I wanted to say one other thing um, about your methodology. You know, you say the met methodology shifts a bit, and you talk about that but you're using publicly available information and you have some metrics um, and on the non-judicial candidates, things like support, support for a free Palestine and BDS, support for single payer, uh, medical care, stance on workers' rights, support for canceling student debt, progressive policies on housing, support for universal basic income, and on and on, climate justice, um, abolish the police, abolish prisons. I mean. What could go wrong? You've got, you've got a beautiful <laughs> set of criteria by which you're making these judgments. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is the, I'm really happy with the fact that the guide has gotten to a place where I'm actually able to use it to push candidates to the left on some of these issues. You know, I've been really fortunate to be able to work with congressional candidates uh, to move their stances on Palestine left uh, and help them be more accountable to their Palestinian constituents. Uh, and that's huge. You know, that's that's a huge deal. Um, and there's actually different criteria uh, for the city elections. If you all want me to read the city criteria, I can. Please. So I will, I'm going to pull up the work in progress document uh, over here. Um, so for, so the criteria for the, the legislative elections are generally the same, um, you know, as policy priorities change, the criteria list changes. Uh, but the municipal one is different every time because the city has different problems every four years. Uh, and so this year it's um, support for defunding CPD or otherwise redirecting CPD resources to other places, uh, reopening the closed mental health centers and other healthcare issues, uh, support for affordable public housing, the bring Chicago home and just cause for eviction ordinances, opposition to gentrification, support for rent control, support for LGBTQ people, opposition to charter schools, CPS policies and school-related issues, independence from the mayor, the machine, and CPD, environmental issues, public transit stances, and ethics reform and good government. Got it. Beautiful. And we've got, you know, one of the things that is always depressing about, I, I'll tell you a quick story. I was in Greece the, uh, speaking at an anarchist convention when Rahm Emanuel ran the first time. Oh, and God. I left <laughs> at the airport and these anarchists picked me up. They were pierced everywhere had, you know, um, uh, tattoos everywhere and purple hair. And I said to them, you're anarchists. I, I don't believe you. You're having a convention. And they said, <laughs> don't worry. It's just you're part of the, the front group that's making this all possible. In any case, they I met while I was in Greece. I spent a day with Manolis Glesos, a famous Greek anarchist who uh, died two years ago or last year, the age of 94, an anarchist his whole life. And we had a day together, wonderful day together. And at the end of the day, as we were walking to the pier where I was going to go back to the main, to Athens, 
He said, um, you know, Bill, I think you have the same problem in America that we have here in Greece. And that is ordinary people don't believe that they can run their own affairs mm -hmm. and a lack of confidence. And so we feel like, what would I do without a mayor or a chief of police or a city council? And, you know, I, I, it was so great. And I came back and every meeting we went to where we were trying to decide on a single progressive opponent of Rahm Emanuel, I would say, why do we need a mayor? And then people would start saying, Bill, come on, get off. <laughs> I appreciated that. But once again, we're in a situation where we have a couple of really good progressive candidates running. Mm -hmm. And it makes us sad that, that we don't have a, that we haven't narrowed in on one. So I'm counting on your girl, I guess, guide to help us um, think that through. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I actually um, thought the mayor's race was so important this time that I made an early endorsement before the guide came out. Uh, I endorsed Brandon Johnson in December. Um, and, you know, I think uh, I'm writing the mayor coverage last because I always save the top of the ballot race for the last one that I write because um, it's always long and complicated and juicy. Um, and I think, you know, Bill, you're absolutely right. We've got a lot of progressives running um, some of them don't really have a reason to be running like Chewy, who's much more progressive as a legislator than he is in the city. Um, and, you know, why that is, who knows, but I don't really, when, when it's outside the city limits of Chicago, I generally trust Chewy. When it's, yeah. when it comes to city politics, eh, not so much. You know, I love Chewy and I hate the demonization <clears throat> of him that's going on with Lori Lightfoot, but we've had a couple of events for Brandon and we think he's the strongest candidate by far. And yeah. we think Chewy would stay where he is, where he can be a good force and, uh, and, and give Brandon a shot. But I hope that people see it that way because I think Brandon would be the best. Yeah. Leader. And that's, yeah, that's really where I am. Is that I really my biggest problem with Chewy isn't you know the machine stuff. It isn't the politics. It's it, I just don't I don't get it. Like why in the world is this guy who spent his entire life outside of the eighties in what are essentially legislative roles? You know, he was a state senator. He was a county board commissioner. He's in Congress now. The mayor is an executive leadership position. You know, he's been a legislator his entire political career, right. and you know. <clears throat> it, it, I don't, I don't understand why he would choose to leave what is essentially a permanent congressional seat. Like that dude is unbeatable in an election for Congress. He's going to have that seat until like, he could die in that office if he wants to. Um, and there's no way anybody could touch him and he'd be free to, you know, build his mustache machine and elect all sorts of people to Springfield. And like, he's got a, he helped get Dahlia elected to Congress, which is fantastic. And right. you know, if, if he wins this mayor's race, he's going to have what two terms tops being the most hated person in the city of Chicago. Like everybody fucking hates the mayor. <laughs> and I don't really like, I don't get the appeal for him. Like I don't understand why he would want to do this job and give up the sweetest gig he could possibly have. I couldn't agree more. He's a kingmaker now. And, and he he's essentially a very effective person when the Democrats bring back <laughs> the majority and so on. Well, I agree with you. Can you tell us some of your favorite aldermanic races and who you're, uh, who, who you're endorsing. Yeah. You know, I've got my nine incumbent endorsements out and we've got you know, basically the socialist caucus who I'm endorsing. I'm not a socialist, but the socialists are doing pretty good. Um, They're close to what we are, but not quite, but that's yeah, good. They, uh, they love their committees a little bit more than we do. And that's the problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they, they take their committees seriously where ours are satirical. Um, 
Roxana mentioned that she was at our house this morning for a fundraiser, and it was for Vico Alvarez. So I hope you're yes. sourcing Vico. Yeah, Vico and I have known each other for a while. Um, really, really, really love her. I think that she's the best chance that people have had in a very long time to flip that ward. Um, Ray Lopez is just such a Scooby-Doo villain. Like, oh <laughs> such a Scooby-Doo villain. The guy, and I, I mean that literally, the guy took money from puppy, like from dog store owners to shut down an anti-puppy mill ordinance at one point. Um, but he sucks. He's he's yeah. one of the if if Spazzato wasn't on city council he'd be the worst alderman, right? Um, and like being second worst. No, to I'm sorry. I'm I'm I think I think actually Ray Ray is actually the worst. I'm, I'm going to go with that. Yeah, there's. It, I mean, the fact that it's open for debate is a condemnation in the first place. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I like the fact that we're having controversy on the podcast. <laughs> Who's the worst? Alderman? To, to a be in a conversation. With the guy that brandished a knife to make a, a racist point on the floor of city hall, like the, on the floor of city council, like to be in that conversation with, are you worse than this guy? That's, that's bad enough as it is. Um, right. But Vico uh, was one of my early endorsements. I did um, a round of early endorsements for challengers to shitty incumbents. Um, and Vico, I think will be just an amazing older person. I really think they can win that race. Um, very similar. Jesse Fuentes in the 26th ward. Um, Jesse's going to be really, really fantastic. Uh, I think she has a great opportunity with Maldonado out of the race um, to pull away from the sort of small pack that's happening there. Um, we've got Angela Clay, who's up for her second round. Um, you know, she kind of got robbed not making that runoff in, in 2019. And Marianne Lalonde did her best. But I think, you know, no disrespect to Marianne, I think she'd be a great older person. But Angela just has that community buy-in and the connection. And I think you know, for all the things that Marianne is and for all the, you know, the progressive views that Marianne has, I think Angela's just that one step better. Um, and then, you know, we've got, uh, hold on, let me just pull up my list. We've got... Um, I'm curious if you had Jocelyn Hare on your list. I do have Jocelyn Hare on my list. You know, uh, by the time people are listening to this, they'll see that I've endorsed Jocelyn Hare. Because um, okay, Jocelyn's an old friend. I was a colleague of her mother's in the College of Education at UIC. I knew her since she was a little girl, and um, and I'm just delighted that she's running, and I hope she's... Yeah. She you know, she really impressed me. I think the fifth ward is really complicated. Um, there's a lot of crap going on in that race. Um, that's one of the many, many wards suffering from lack of a platformitis uh, right now, where a lot of people running just don't have any platform whatsoever. Um, and, you know, Desmond Yancey, who's this guy who's gotten all the progressive endorsements and like SEIU threw him $80,000 and like, sure. Okay, fine. Whatever. Um, he came out with his platform a couple of days ago and it was just terrible. Um, and he, like, he's got, um, there's a sentence in there that, you know, a couple of friends have been pointing me to him because he had gotten all these progressive endorsements. Um, and like, oh yeah, take a look at Yancey, take a look at Yancey. And so I was waiting and waiting and waiting and he finally put something out. Um, and his public safety uh, platform includes the sentence, he will work with community residents and both Chicago Police Department and the University of Chicago Police Department to make sure residents feel protected in the ward and feel safe in their encounters with law enforcement. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Exactly. Like, this is the dude that SEIU is wasting their money on? Like, come on now. Terrible. Come on. So, so one of the interesting things, um, Stephanie, is that, you know, we are a big city, Chicago, and yeah. we're also the city that the right wing likes to punch around. I mean, San Francisco is the woke city. Chicago is the violent black city. Yeah. And, and 
So <clears throat> broaden the lens a little bit and say and ask you. I mean the the Progressive Caucus is a is a is an interesting phenomenon and it seems yeah. to be growing. Um, we we seem to be on a on a pretty good course in Illinois and in Chicago um, in terms of, of of mainstream politics. What are the implications in terms of police, in terms of defunding, in terms of prison abolition, criminal criminal legal reform? What are the implications nationally for what we're going through here? Well, you know, I think Chicago is really this epicenter of racial violence um, in a lot of ways in the country. You know, this, these systems exist everywhere, um, but a lot of them got their start or had their most negative impact in Chicago. Uh, you know, everybody knows the the history of redlining that was really created here and you know everybody knows the history of CPD <clears throat> and I think the opportunity to have and I think the progressive caucus on the city council is really interesting because a lot of folks in there are not so much progressives as they are liberals representing progressive wards um, and you know that's sort of neither here nor there but I think um, really the opportunities that we have this time around to expand that caucus to elect a progressive mayor or at the very least to elect a city council that will hold a, le- a less progressive mayor accountable. Um, you know, the, we have a weird political system here in Chicago where the mayor makes all the rules and the city council kind of follows along. But what we're seeing right now with Lori at the end of her term is that the city council actually has quite a bit of power to push back against the mayor if they all don't like the mayor. Um, and that's what's happening right now is basically the entire city council has said, actually, we're sick of Lori Lightfoot. We're going to do what we want. And a lot of really interesting things are happening. So, you know, I think we've got, you know, I don't think we're going to abolish the police in the next (laughs) round of municipal elections, but we do have some really interesting options on the table. You know, we've got the treatment, not trauma ordinance, um, which will take cops out of the equation for mental health emergencies, which will be really, really huge. um, And is something that is needed in our city and and around the country. Um, And we also have the opportunity to pass ethical you know, people sourced budgets. People talk about all the resources that Chicago needs and all the things that our city needs. We actually have all the money to do all this stuff. The problem is that CPD is using it in police settlements and, and overages on their overtime budget. Um, and so one of the things, you know, obviously I would like to see us defund CPD and close the jails and, and all that stuff. But like realistically, what I think something that's simple that city council and the next mayor could take on that would probably have really widespread support across the city is mandating a cap on CPD overtime. You know, they go, they double or triple their overtime budget every single year. And it's, it's just stealing money out of the pockets of the taxpayers and it destroys the city budget because the city has to essentially budget for an overage that they don't know how large it's going to be. And CPD gets to get away with it every time. If we capped their overtime, we could fully fund the schools. We could reopen the mental health centers. We could better fund city services. I mean, I was talking to an aldermanic candidate the other day um, to give some advice on their platform. And I said, hey, look, you know, I know you represent like a ward that's sort of more pro-cop, but something that you can do to have a progressive stance on policing is say, look, you know, I want to cap CPD overtime and reallocate those resources, not to, you know, building a socialist public school in the middle of every police department, but we could hire more unionized public service workers, more streets and sand workers, more, you know, just city workers in general, so that we could fix the problems that the city is having with 311, with the CTA, 
with public services. You know, these agencies need an infusion of funds and the money already exists. We don't have to raise taxes or do anything. You just have to cap the overtime that CPD gets. We don't even have to defund them. We just have to stop them from taking all the rest of the money that's in the budget that doesn't belong to them. You know, it's a, it's such a common sense reform and it really underlines the point you made in the beginning that while we won't vote our way to socialism or anarchism or revolution, we can certainly make a palpable difference in people's lives. And and that proposal that you just laid out so brilliantly is a perfect example that we could have a much better city, a much more livable city, um, a much more humane city with just a simple reform like that. And it makes us want to get out and vote. Yeah. And, you know, we're not going to have it if we don't have some courage on city council, if we don't have some courage in city hall. And I think you know, there's, there's another few folks who I think are really going to be uh, fantastic when they get there. We've got, you know, Oscar Sanchez in the 10th ward. We've got uh, Julia Ramirez or Julia Ramirez in the, in the 12th uh, looking to take over from Cardenas. And now I guess from Abarca, um, you know, obviously we want Jeanette Taylor and Byron Sicho Lopez back. Um, you know, uh, other open wards. Uh, we've got Lori Torres Witt who can take out Gil Vijegas. Um, who really just so desperately doesn't want to be on city council anymore. And I think we should help him out the door because um, Lori Torres Witt would be so much better. Uh, Denali Dasgupta in the 39th Ward, a huge opportunity for a pickup there um, in, in what's just a, a great ward represented by a terrible person in Nugent. And then, uh, so I'm in the 49th Ward. I love my older person, Maria Haddon. Uh, and right next door to me, is one of our, I think, most underrated but best opportunities for a progressive pickup, and that's Muiz Bawani, uh, who's running one-on-one versus Deb Silverstein. Um, and you know, I've been close to the campaign for a while just because I'm so close to the ward. Um, and Muiz was on my radar right from the beginning. And you know, he's got a great campaign. He's really making an impact. Whether or not he wins, we'll have to see. But I think. You know, he has the best chance that anybody has had since Deb got into the city council to unseat Silverstein and bring some actual representation to that ward uh, and get rid of a person who's running like low key Republican events on the side uh, for her conservative voting base. Mm-hmm. You know, Mui's, I think, would be just a head and shoulders improvement over Deb Silverstein. Um mm-hmm. And once we get her out of there, we've got to work on getting some progressive Jews on city council because <laughs> <laughs> get the reactionary Jews off and get some. We're, we already got rid of Michelle Smith. So once Silverstein is out, you know, we, we can we can re up the Jewish caucus with some actually good people instead of the weirdos that we get stuck with. I love it. You know, you do a lot of work writing this thing. Do you write for other outlets? Do you have you had op eds in the local papers? I mean, you're so persuasive and you have such a feel for the politics of the city. I really want your voice out there. Uh, Well, I appreciate that. I don't really write for a lot of newspapers. I don't do journalism full time. Um, I would, you know, I am not opposed to doing it back when I was more, when I had more time essentially to be more active in the international Palestine solidarity movement. uh, I wrote a few op-eds for 972 magazine, the Jewish daily forward and uh, the electronic intifada um, and, you know, some of the left-wing pro-Palestine newspapers. Uh, but I haven't been much on the op-ed writing scene. I think really what Chicago had, we're very, very lucky to have a great crop of progressive and leftist journalists already working at a lot of our major newspapers. You know, we've got Block Club, we've got The Reader, we've got some great folks on the Tribune and the Sun-Times, even if the Tribune and the Sun-Times are weird on their own. 
Um, and, you know, I think as much as I would love to do more writing, we've also got obviously, you know, Injustice Watch and, some, and, and the Tribe and some of the smaller local news service, uh, sources. Um, and like I said, you know, as much as I would love to do more writing, um, what I would love to do even more is work with these folks who are already doing the good work, who already have places in these, in these halls of power and just give them the information that they need. You know, I would love to do regular interviews with all these folks right. um, and let people know, you know, look, if you're reading some of the progressive reporters that work at the Tribune or work at the Sun-Times, or if you subscribe to Block Club, if you subscribe to the Tribe, if you subscribe to the Reader, um, that there are these resources out there. You just need to know how to be connected with them. Right. You know, Juan Gonzalez from Democracy Now! just moved to Chicago. Oh, last really? And we're hoping that he's still on Democracy Now!, but we're hoping that his being located here will put him, you know, bring him much closer to Chicago politics, Chicago organizing and all that. But I'm going to send him um, the girl, I guess, guide and, oh, please. <laughs> and, and introduce you because I think he's a really, really fine journalist and an important, uh, important media person. So you should know each other. Uh, yeah, I would I would love to check that off my lefty media bucket list and be on democracy now. I feel like that's that's the thing that I need to really give me that street cred. Right. I would really love to do that. You know, I think democracy now does great work and I would love to talk with them. Roxana, last words, anything? Um, well, actually, I wanted to go back a little bit to what you talked about, um, moving people uh, to the left. Um, mm. and, and I think the, you know, the power of the, the golden shrug. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, cause that's something that you just actually started doing in the last two, um, elections, I, I think. I started it in 2020, um, mm -hmm. in the 2020 general. So I golden shrugged people who were already good and most of them weren't running competitive elections. Um, so it really started having an impact in the 2022 primary. So, I mean, with the, with the golden shrug, do you think that, um, that it it has helped uh give a like a special push to those candidates um and you know do you see that being uh an additional tool and i mean wh where do you see uh the power of the girl i guess guide and 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 how it can help essentially move chicago to in a more progressive direction Absolutely. You know, I think the golden shrug in the legislative election. So there's no golden shrug in municipal elections. I have a different endorsement system there um, where I essentially I'm taking the system that Ellen and I used in 2019, mm -hmm. which is red, yellow and green light, essentially. Um, but in the legislative elections, the golden shrug has a lot of power. You know, we've mm -hmm. got um, look no further than the, the 13th state house district where Han Wynn, who's now the state representative who took over for Greg Harris, was this random like Asian candidate running to represent a diverse district and trying to capitalize on the part of Uptown and, and Argyle that was in the district. And nobody was taking him seriously. He wasn't really getting any big endorsements. He barely had any money. Um, and he kicked an establishment candidate's ass in that election, basically with my endorsement and Teresa Ma's help. And that was all he had. Um, and, you know, Teresa gave him the money and I gave him the publicity and he just ran with it. And he won, uh, I think, what was like a six or seven way race with 44% of the vote um, over a candidate that had the endorsement of J.B. Pritzker. And he went and knocked doors with her. Um, and, you know, this was a lady who had been in 
local politics for ages and was running without a platform and was hoping to just waltz right into the seat and coronate herself. Um, and the Golden Shrug had such an impact that Han was actually running it in mailers. Like he just took the text from the guide and took the endorsement graphic that I made for him and sent postcards with it and everything. Um, and, you know, and he, he ran away with that election um, and would not have been able to do that had Teresa and I not really unintentionally teamed up, but uh, to, to help him. Um, and, you know, you see it across this, uh, across the county, Maggie Trevor, who got a golden shrug, um, squeaked past uh, a really terrible Republican in her county board race uh, to flip a county board seat that had always been in Republican hands. Uh, she's the first Democrat to represent that district ever. Um, and she's the first lesbian on the county board. She won by like 400 votes and she was a Golden Shrug uh, recipient. Anthony Quesada probably didn't really need the help, but also really uh, also won. Delia Ramirez doubled up Gil Villegas and, or more. I, I, you know, she got like 66% of the vote in her congressional race. Um, and so the Golden Shrug has a huge impact. And, and, you know, girl, I guess in general, even when it wasn't as big last cycle, you know, we had some really huge wins. Rosana Rodriguez has long credited the guide with helping her get over the edge. I mean, she won by 19 votes. Some of those 19 votes were people that read Girl, I guess. Um, and now we have nine progressives, like true leftist progressives on city council. And we're probably going to wind up with 12 or 15 by the end of next month. Um, and I'm really hoping that, you know, the guide can flex some muscles and get progressives into these positions of power. Um, and that's really what I view my job as, right? You know, I don't, I'm not trying to go around and be a kingmaker and flip elections and do all this stuff for fun. I'm trying to make sure that every voter in the city of Chicago has all the information that they need to make a voting decision that will benefit their community and that they have the ability to vote with what's aligned with their best interests. You know, if they're a progressive or a leftist, they can just follow my recommendations. But no matter who they are, you know, I will give people's people who are not aligned with my political views can use the guide as a reference to vote however they want. Um, really, it's a, it's a turnout tool. It's something that gets people out of their homes and into the polls when they really, really need to participate in local elections in particular. You know, I think, I think that that is such an important thing. And it's, it's girl, I guess is really, uh, the voter guide is really an act of love and we will, publish it, we'll promote it, um, and we'll also publish how they can get money to you because even though it's mm -hmm. an act of love, it's a ton of work. And we, <laughs> yes, it is. And girl, I guess I should just say, we, we've said it before, but it's a Jewish, queer, trans, nerdy, dedicated to helping members of our community navigate a confusing ballot. And I personally love girl, I guess. I love you, girl, I guess. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I want everybody to support you and everybody to... Um, <laughs> To, to consult the guide and do what we can to make Chicago a more livable city, a better city. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, that's exactly, that's exactly what it is, Bill is, you know, I, I love Chicago so much. My whole family since the 1860s has lived here. Um, I was the first person in 120 years born outside the city limits because my parents moved to the suburbs, but I'm here now. Couldn't help it. Couldn't help it then, but I'm here now. Um, Good to have you back. Yes. And, and you know, it's I, I love Chicago so much. And this is going to be my home for the rest of my life if I have anything to say about it. And we have so many problems, but so many good people that just need the resources in front of them to do the things that they would do for themselves if they had the time. 
And that's what Girl, I guess, is. is it's something, you know, it's saying to progressives, to leftists, to regular people who have problems in Chicago and don't know where to start because they don't know how to navigate the process. It's saying here, here's one girl's opinion on what you should do and how you should use your vote. But more than that, it's an opportunity to say, look, you you can use this to do zero work and be politically engaged. And, you know, if you trust my recommendations, at least you know that you've made an informed choice. Uh, right. And that's so many voters don't have the ability to make an informed choice. So they either go to the polls and vote for whoever they vote for a woman or the first person on the ballot or the person with the best sounding last name. Um, and we wind up with, you know, right-wingers and wackadoos in public office, and that hurts everybody. And, you know, Girl, I guess, is trying to cut through that red tape and demystify local elections so that people, at the very least, have the opportunity to know who they're voting for. Well, I do want to say that, you know, one of the things that we talked about at to, this afternoon, um, uh, I was talking actually with Charles Preston from Injustice Watch. and um yeah. And he, you know, and we were talking about just the fact that Chicago does have, unfortunately, historically low turnout mm-hmm. rates for local elections. And so this is an opportunity for those voters who do turn out, especially when they're well informed, which is what they are when they're reading the guide, um, to really make an outsized impact. You know, um, when you're coming out and voting in these elections, you are really making a huge difference. And so exactly. I think that's that's something that's really important that needs to be pointed out. Precisely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I said it before, girl, I guess, first and foremost, is a turnout tool. There are a ton mm-hmm. of people who read the guide who would never vote if they didn't have all that information in front of them. Um, exactly. And you're absolutely correct. Chicago has horrible municipal election mm-hmm. turnout. We have horrible turnout in all of our elections. Um And it's really a shame because we have such a progressive city and we have so many amazing people that live here. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I can motivate even a handful of people to vote just by writing the guide, then it's worth it on its own because people need, you know, we, we said at the beginning, people need to use every tool in their toolbox to fight for liberation and make the world a better place. And voting isn't sexy, but it's easy and it's necessary if you have all the information. Well, I, I'll dispute you on that. I think with with girl, I guess in your pocket voting, <laughs> and Stephanie, I can't tell you how much I admire you and what you do. And girl, I guess once again, I love you. And people got to get out and vote. Thank you so much. Thank you all for having me. Okay, folks, let's give thanks that we're alive and dancing the dialectic at this exact moment on the clock of the universe. Praise song for the day. Let's look unblinkingly at the society as it is, and let's get busy in projects that reimagine, repair, and rebuild this broken world. Let's try to stay all the way human. Thanks to Damon Williams and Daniel Kisslinger at the generative and provocative podcast Ergo, to our co-conspirators Roxana Espos and Palace Shaw. Go forward, keep rising, and make your life a living example of participatory democracy. With joy in my heart and freedom on my mind, until next time. <laughs>